This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Almost Heretical. I'm Nate. We have a real amazing interview today with Anna Gazmarian. She wrote a book called Devout, A Memoir of Doubt. And we're going to get into her bipolar diagnosis, mental health, missions trips to Africa, being fired from a church, a lot of stuff. There was so much that it didn't quite all fit into this episode. To hear the full unedited episode, click the link in the show notes right now. Okay, here's the trimmed down, edited version of our interview with Anna. You know, we're going to get into mental health and this that kind of stuff in the in the interview. But um, yeah, congrats and and yeah, props to you for coming out and sharing your pretty personal story like that. Yeah, I never thought I would write a memoir because it is very personal. But here we are. So it's called "Devout: A Memoir of Doubt," and I'm guess I'm curious. You know, we grew up in the church. We grew up in evangelical you know, conservative churches, and many of our listeners did. Um, Our listeners are all over the place now. We still have pastors in churches, and we have people that do not call themselves Christian anymore that listen to the show. So welcome all of you that are listening (laughs) along. You're welcome on this journey, no matter where you are. But what is, is how, what led to this, right? So what is your origin story? As we take you all the way back to little Anna, well, you're in a church, how did this all start for you? So I did grow up in the South and at various evangelical churches that met at like middle schools and auditoriums, you know, that used all their budgets to buy like donuts on Sunday mornings. <laughs> yes. That's the whole reason I wanted to go to church. Yeah. You got the donuts and I grew up, I grew up in those churches and then I went to a Southern Baptist high school. Strongly do not recommend that. And that was kind of my religious framework. And as I got older, I started dealing with depression, which started to challenge my faith. And I I did take a step back from church for a long time to wrestle through those things. And then I'm now back in church, which is a whole whole journey. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. So let's let's go back into church here. So we had Rachel Held Evans on the show. She talked about the cracks that she first started seeing in Christianity and in her church experience and uh, in her maybe interpretation of the Bible and all these kind of things. So I was like asking, what were some of those first cracks that you started to notice? And at what point in your journey did that happen? Yeah, so I feel like I, I didn't really fit the mold of evangelicalism from a very young age because I have the inclination to question things and doubt. And those were things that I wasn't able to have space Mm -hmm. for. Uh, From a very young age, I was exposed to deep suffering. My mom was sick and she was in the hospital all the time. And then, you know, I went went to Africa every summer for mission trips and thought I'd be a missionary. And it's funny because when my parents recall stories of us going to Africa, they're always these joyful things. And for me, it was this really traumatic thing of, why would God allow this to happen? And Mm -hmm. if God has the power and if he is all powerful, why is he not intervening? Mm -hmm. And those were questions that I really grappled with and I didn't have an avenue to actually 
understand other than becoming obsessed with Christian apologetics and, you know, going to apologetic conferences, watching debates between atheists and evangelicals and thinking, okay, if I get to a certain theological framework, these questions will go away. Mm. And it was this really complicated thing because faith involves having questions and embracing the unknown, but in my mind, it involves being certain. And so that was a huge issue for me. And then another one for me was gender dynamics because I grew up in an environment where women were supposed to be these complacent, quiet people. And I was the complete opposite of all of those things. And like in high school, I had to get in long distance relationships purposely because I could hide my opinions and just like write them emails. <laughs> and and so I felt this this deep feeling of I don't fit into this box. And if I'm supposed to be this person of faith, how do I adjust myself because I can't I can't stop being who I am. And that's honestly how I came to writing is because I was being told that I wasn't supposed to have opinions and I wasn't supposed to question and I wasn't supposed to do all these things, but like I was able to find my voice on the page mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I could have a voice in real life and relationships, but at least I had an outlet to have a voice. And I also think that mental health when I was diagnosed with bipolar when I was 18, that revealed a lot of cracks for me because I was taught that suicide was this unforgivable sin and that if you mm-hmm. struggled with depression or any of these things, that you were going against God. And I realized from experiencing it that all these things, I had no control over them. And they were part of what it means to be human. And it also challenged my belief that everything happens for a reason because I went through Mm. years of trying to find a reason and I couldn't find anything. And that made me really grapple with who I believe God is. Reminds me of the book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, Um, which just the title, like that's that's one of the best book titles I think I've ever heard. But yeah, it is um, also just a story of when you go through so many different kinds of suffering, like the things you're sharing, your mom being sick, and then these trips to Africa. I mean, that's an incredible, I feel like, thing to, th- to throw in there. A lot of us have maybe done a mission trip or two, but you're saying, you, you know, you guys went every summer yet to a place that has so much just unjust suffering, something that seems so unfair that, like, if there is, like yeah. you said, an all-powerful God, like, why are they not doing doing something more? Like, that's the perfect observation, I think, for a, a young person to to make. Um, and then, and then your own mental health, just, uh, I'm glad you brought up that phrase of like, everything happens for a reason. Cause that's one of, one of the phrases I maybe hate the most <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Like, like there are, sure there are ways to maybe grow and change through everything, but that doesn't mean everything is worthwhile and like that everything yeah. that, that that's the best that it could have been. Like that just doesn't yeah. make sense at all. I love that you brought up Kate Bowler because her work has really impacted me. And she writes a lot about the prosperity gospel. Mm. And I remember being young and looking at like Joel Olstein and all these people like, oh, they're the crazy ones. Like I have it together and they're dealing with these things like I would never believe. But in actuality, like I was living out the prosperity gospel and I was believing that and thinking that like I was above suffering. And if I followed these rules, if I did all these things, that good things would happen to me. Yeah. And and that was another thing that kind of broke for me when I got diagnosed was like, 
I did all these things. I followed all the rules. Like I didn't drink. I didn't have sex. I, I did all these things and all these bad things still happened. Hmm. Something that, yeah, you wasn't, wasn't because of any choice of your own. Yeah. Cause I did grapple with like, okay, so did I, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kept trying to find all these things because I was obsessed with journaling my sins. So I kept journaling them and trying to find a sin that caused all this. Yeah. Oh man. I remember as a teenager, probably especially around like 14, 15, just writing so uh, in my, my prayer journal, like, yes, exactly what you're saying of like, uh, trying to, for me, it wasn't, uh, I was trying to figure out how I essentially deserved hell, which is yes, just, you know, yes. the most, I mean, how could anyone possibly deserve that? But I was like, I, kn- I mean, I was starting with the foundation of, I know I deserve hell. So now yes. I need to like, but I was such a good kid. Yeah. Like I was so, such a normal, just, I mean, if anything, above average kid. And I, so I'm like, oh man, I like didn't want to clean my room this morning. Like, oh, and then I like try and extrapolate that out to how I'm such a horrible sinner and like, how could God ever love me? And now I read it now. And I'm like, this is absolute nonsense. Like I knew, I knew deep down that I didn't deserve hell, but I was like trying to yeah. figure out a way how that made sense. Yeah. So you all are you all are members of the boring testimony club. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have no no. Like, horse. Okay, we've heard this one before. When the person gets up to share their testimony. Yes. <laughs> hey Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called "I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist." I did know that, but you know what I find myself asking these days. No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) I think it's really hard for me to... Like, I don't believe that I was taught what the Bible teaches. I I don't Mm. think that the version of Christianity I got when I was young is what Christianity is designed to be. I feel like I got it through the lens of these old white men and their interpretation of it. And I was taught to view God and experience God through the eyes and approval of other people. And so it's really hard for me to look back and believe that I was really taught about Jesus. And, and Hmm. I was taught a God of hate and vengefulness Hmm. and all these things that are complete opposites of what I believe about God now. And so it's hard for me to listen to my testimony and read my journals and do all these things because it feels so distant to where I am now. So if you had to describe God now and how you imagine God, how would that go? I mean, I'm going to sound like such a hippie, but... Yeah, you're on a show called Almost Heretical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to say like, God is love when I was a kid, but it was like all my beliefs did not demonstrate that God is love. Um, Mm. All my beliefs dictated that God was angry, judgmental, vengeful, um, unjust, 
and so for me, it's like believing that God is love has affected my whole framework. And there are certain issues that I'm like not really sure of, but because I believe God is love, that has dictated like where I landed on those things. It's interesting that you bring up vengeful, angry. Yeah. You know, in my experience, we called that love. We said, but the, somehow this is yes. the love of God. Yeah. You know, he he is justified in being those things. Yeah. Even though, and this was the hang up for me, especially as I'm a father of three now, but like even before that, I was just like, I know what a good father is. I know what a good parent is. Yeah. And I'm yeah. told that God is a good parent, but if any human parent was to do those things, we would say, that is horrible. That's horrific, right? And they'd probably be in jail. <laughs> um, and they probably should yeah. be in jail. But when it's God, there's different rules. And we can say, well, well, and then you start you start yeah. digging into it too much and you get those like, well, God's ways are higher than our ways. And like, why don't you ask that one when you get yeah. to heaven? And all these not yeah. very satisfying answers. And that leads to a show like this, right? Right. And I feel like even in how we were taught to view ourselves as like these sinners, I mean, we talk about this later, I mean, earlier, but viewing ourselves as sinners and undeserving of love and deserving hell, all these things while we're also being taught that we're made in the image of God. And there's verses about loving ourselves, like, but we're taught the complete opposite messages. And I love that you brought up being a parent because that really reframed things for me of like, how do I want my daughter to experience God Mm -hmm. in a different way than what I was brought up in? And Rachel Held Evans, she has a a children's book and it's the only Christian children's book that I have for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And in the book, she talks about God being a safe place. Mm -hmm. And that really resonates with me because for so many years, and I'm still working through this, God felt everything but safe. Mm -hmm. And that is really what I want to bring to my daughter. I mean, I completely spiraled during my pregnancy. Like I didn't read any pregnancy books. I was reading all these theology books because when we found out uh i was pregnant with a girl i had been praying for a boy because i was like if we have a girl i'm gonna have to deal with like purity culture shit i'm gonna have to figure out all these things that i haven't figured out for myself and so i i went on this deep dive like i remember one night just reading this huge book about hell i don't even remember which book it was because i was like i have to figure out if i believe in hell or not by the time my daughter is born that was my challenge <laughs> no pressure I like i gotta go to yeah. the, i gotta go to the gym every day and then i gotta figure out what i think about hell. and <laughs> yeah it's what i was not expecting is after my daughter was born being exposed to christian parent vibes and, and what that what that looks like and like I really struggle knowing what is the difference between indoctrination and teaching truth. And I don't know what the line Mm. is and I struggle to know how to teach it. And also like, I want it to be her choice. I want her to be able to choose to live a life of faith because I don't feel like I really had consent over it. Mm. And even like figuring out baptism versus baptism versus dedication, all of these little things. It's like, I find myself every hurdle. I'm, I'm questioning everything. And I wasn't expecting that Mm. like on the most basic level. And I remember her mom telling me like, have you started teaching Ezra the fruits of the spirit? She's two and a half. Like, why would I teach her the fruits of the spirit? What, like, what is she going to learn from that? Just live them out and talk about them. Like she doesn't have yeah. to like memorize the verse that doesn't instill it more than. Right. Me. Right. And I remember my framework for becoming a Christian was out of fear and it was out of being afraid of sin and being afraid of everything. And 
that has impacted so much of my life view. And so I I have decided like, I I don't want to talk about sin for many years. And also like, there's so many stories in the Bible that are not age appropriate. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Most of them probably. Right. And I don't think that the, like she needs to learn about Noah's Ark and be scared every time it rains that God is like punishing the world. Yeah. We literally just put out an episode on Noah's Ark. So it's funny that you bring that up. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> there, There is a book that I read, I think it's Robert Alter, about the Bible as literature and, and coming to a point where I don't think that the Bible is completely literal. Like there's so many like beautiful stories that are literary to me and not what happened. And mm-hmm. I think that has affected the way that I want to teach Ezra, like the beauty of literature and like what that can teach us about God and how stories are used and what they communicate, but not necessarily being like, hey, you know, Job was afflicted by God and Satan was just watching. Like th- th- just I, I want to be trauma informed in how I teach her about faith. I think what I've found is apparently like a lot of these things don't come up. Like, it's not like, Oh yeah. yeah I mean, sin just popped up today. We got to talk about it. You know, it's like, they're just living their life and you realize, you know, this, this framework that I used to have about everyone, which I was raised very Calvinistic and I was yeah. in churches where I was teaching Calvinism and things like that. But, um, was that everyone is starting out total depravity, right? The the tea and tulip, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. like total depravity or original sin, all these ideas that you are completely separated from God. And if you're like hardcore out there, you probably just got like the image of the two cliffs, right? And then there's God on one side. And... Stop it. I remember memorizing <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> it would always bug me. I've said this on the show a lot, but the cross that fits in the middle, I mean, it fits, but then how do you get over the top of the cross. They never drew a ladder. I don't know. It just doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. That whole idea that we are separated, there's something wrong with us from the beginning. I just don't view humans that way anymore. So now as raising these little humans, it doesn't come up. I'm not like, man, we got to really get them on a different path here. You know? It's interesting because I do, I feel like um, watching a lot of my friends become parents as well, friends who are a lot more still maybe in the um, Christian world that I'm not as much anymore. Um, it's just, it's remarkable to me how quickly you can see sin if that's what you're looking for. Like how at such a young yeah. age, like one or two, be like, oh, well, you know, they're throwing a tantrum because they're just, they're, you know, a naturally sinful being. And it's like, well, or you could just go from the psychological perspective of they're throwing a yeah. tantrum because yeah they don't have the emotional yeah. capacity to understand all these things and they're upset and they're hungry and they're tired and like you would throw a tantrum too and just it's yeah i feel like sin is such an unhelpful concept because it basically yeah. just says like well there's you're just bad and there's nothing really you can do about it except yeah you know hope that god helps you and and of all the things like we said you know we have an eight-year-old and five-year-old and but the eight-year-old you know she'll ask tons of questions she's super smart always you know the other day we ended up talking about, I mean, she asked about, you know, death and we were talking about, you know, what is hell? Cause she'd heard people use the word hell. And so we have all sorts of conversations. She's never once, like never once have we needed to talk about sin. Like it's just not a natural, Yeah, it doesn't come up because it doesn't really fit in just the way life works. Right. Like people do bad things. Yeah. Like what we usually talk about is that people who do bad things are often like there's been things in life that have led them to that point. That doesn't make those things okay. Yeah. But like there's reasons behind, you know, we ch- she'll t- talk about like people who are in jail and like, are those bad people? And we're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know that they're bad people. They're just probably people who've, 
either had hard times or didn't get the help that they needed. And, you know, so we needed, and it was just, anyway, all that to say, there's, I think it's so easy to not use sin as a framework anymore. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up because I was going to go on a rant about that, about, I have I had so many people be like, so don't you notice how much your daughter is a sinner? What? And oh it's gosh. the complete opposite for me. Like, mm-hmm. I look at her and I am in complete awe because I, I think about like Jesus being with children and Jesus always welcoming them when people d- dismiss them. And I feel like my my view of God has changed by becoming a parent and just seeing like the the innocence and the joy and side note, just like her not being influenced by the patriarchy in any way and her being like unapologetically herself. It's been so healing for me. And I think I think for me is like one of the things I want to teach her is that people are made in the image of God and there is a divine nature to people. And I feel like the most poignant images I've had of God have been through other people Hmm. and they haven't been in church. Hmm. I want to come back to, so a, a lot of the book deals with mental health, deals with your diagnosis. And then a piece that we haven't gotten to is, so when you receive that diagnosis, and then I'm assuming you're still in the church at that point, do you take that sort of, take your new diagnosed self back to the church? And how does that process go? How how are you received in this state? Are you honest about things at that point or? Do people know how to respond? Yeah. How do, how do you, yeah, how does that go? Uh, oh, there's a lot. So I, I was the one that brought myself to the psychiatrist because I grew up in a culture where science was something to be mistrusted. Yeah. Like even in thinking about my appointment, I remember being like, oh, she's going to say stuff that makes me seem selfish and focus on myself and not focus on a higher power. And I, before going to the psychiatrist, I had gone to a Christian therapist and I didn't know that there were different types of Christian counseling. And the one that I went to viewed every mental illness as a problem with like sinful behavior. So she didn't even mention, mention anything. And I didn't tell her that I was having suicidal thoughts. I, I wasn't honest with her. Like, so I can't put that on her because in my mind, it was like, these are things that I just need to deal with in, in my faith and they'll go away. And when I got diagnosed, I did go back to my parents who were evangelical and they were very welcoming and accepting. And that is something mm-hmm. that I recognize okay. as a huge gift because most people do not have that. But I was not welcomed by my church. I mm-hmm. had had before my diagnosis a following out with my with a guy and they told me that my depression was a distraction from this guy. And so I was let go from the church. What? Oh my gosh. Let go from the church. What do you mean by let go from the church and, and how did that happen? Like I was told, like I was kicked off the leadership team and told that I was a distraction to him because there was all these things like he sexually assaulted me. All these things happened, but like oh my gosh. no one heard my side of the story. Mm. They were just like, you are tempting this guy sexually. Ugh. You are. I mean, this is like my purity culture book that I'm working on. Uh, you're, text- you're, you're tempting this guy sexually. Like your depression and your sadness is keeping him from God. And so you need to leave. And so I thought that my diagnosis was because I was being punished from that relationship because I was like, mm. I seduced, I I made this guy interested in me. Oh, so you kind of like in, internalized what they were saying about you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was oh, like, wow. this is all my fault. And I remember I went to a counseling session with a therapist right after everything happened. And he was like, 
why are you not angry? Like he pointed all these things out to me, kind of like what you're saying, like what broke the cracks. And I didn't see any of it. I was like, why would I be angry? Like, this is all my fault. Like I could not, my friends tried to speak into it and they tried to give me a different vantage point, but I was so indoctrinated that I couldn't, I couldn't see it. And I, like in retrospect, the diagnosis isn't what broke me. It was the Christian messages that I had been taught about suicide, the Christian messages I've been taught about like suffering. And so that happened. And then shortly after my diagnosis, a pastor gave a a sermon about him being in rehab and him having bipolar. And I remember being so excited. I was like, okay, this is going to help me mm, wow. learn. And instead of it being like, a way of like coinciding faith and mental illness. It was like, this is how I got through it. This is how I got healed. This is, um, mm. and him apologizing like for his, his diagnosis and apologizing to his wife and like mm. making it this like sinful affliction. Oh, so that no. went on. And then one of my best friends got diagnosed with bipolar and she went to a chiropractor, a Christian chiropractor, which I didn't know was a thing. And she thought she was completely healed <laughs> because she was getting her back adjusted and so I had all of these other messages going on that I was so entrenched in that I really didn't know what to believe. Like my church at the time had this thing where they would like a graph of all the mental illnesses and, and sicknesses and then the sins coinciding with all of them. So what? Oh my gosh. You just said that like it's totally normal. <laughs> oh I'm God. like, where in the world does this come from biblically? Like, how's there any, I mean, well, they probably have a verse to back up everything, but yeah. I just, oh, I am enraged right now. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So, so they had this list and for me, depression was linked with selfishness because all my mind was consumed with was like keeping myself alive. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not thinking enough about God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think that chart was probably written by someone with no mental health struggles. Just... I know, or like who had never read the Bible and realized that Jesus was suicidal, but that's a whole, a whole different thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're right. He does say that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. At what point do you just, do you you become angry at some point? I'm 31 now and I was 18 then and I feel like I'm just now getting angry. Wow. Hmm. And that was, it was, that was one of the hardest things about writing the book is I was like, oh, I process all this stuff. And then as I was writing it, it was like, oh, this has all been stored in my body and this is all things that I haven't processed. And so I joke with my friends that I'm like this constant ragey Anna. Um, I think I think the big – I am angry about the, bi- the bipolar stuff, but I think for me in the present day, like purity culture is mm. even a bigger thing. And I think that was connected with my diagnosis. Yeah, and did you say you're working on a book about that now? Yeah. Yeah, I I tried really hard to avoid it, but I but I'm really interested in like how purity culture continues to be a thing, and, and oh, yeah. um, grappling like with what I want to teach my daughter about sexuality mm-hmm. is a whole spiral for me. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. she's two and a half, and I'm like talking to my therapist about like the impact of casual sex, what I think about it, like. Is my evangelical upbringing impacting my view on sexuality still? Like, how do I untangle all these things? So mm-hmm. that's a fun mm-hmm. thing to deal with while you're having a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, good for you for wanting to untangle those things now. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to read that book. <laughs> yeah. I guess I want to go now to your relationship with church. You said you've gone back to church now. Yeah. 
I left church after my di- after my diagnosis for a while, and I was in Winston-Salem. I grew up in Winston-Salem my whole life, and then after my freshman year, I moved to Raleigh, and I got involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, oh, okay. and obviously that didn't help. And then I went to a mega church for a few uh, sermons, and I remember there was a time when I went to the prayer room to get prayer for healing, and there was like a married man there, and... I grew up in a culture where like there were some married men that would not pray with women Mm. and he kind of just looked at me and I was like sobbing and he just completely ignored me. And then there was like a college boy that walked in and then he immediately gravitated to him and prayed with him. And I was just like, I can't keep doing this. And I got to a point when I was in Raleigh, like I was reading Henry now and I was reading these books Mm. that preached a very different message than when I grew up, but I just could not internalize it because I think there was this anguish that I felt that didn't feel like it had a place in Christianity. And so I was really starting to question like, am I even a Christian? And Mm. all of this was happening outside of, of the church. And I remember reading the story about Jesus in the desert and reading about Jesus sweating blood and just like, Mm. I couldn't relate to Christians anymore, but I could relate to Jesus and I could relate Mm. to the agony that Jesus felt. And that is really what connected me to Christianity and kept me searching. And eventually Mm. I left Raleigh and I moved to Michigan because I found out Sufjan Stevens attended this really small school. I'm like, okay, so it's got to be okay. (laughs) And that was the biggest turning point for me because I like, I left all reminders of my upbringing, like my parents weren't driving distance away from me. I, I was completely on my own. Like the church, like there was a church there, there was chapel. I didn't go to anything. I, I just turned to writing and I found lamentations. And that was the biggest turning point for me in my spiritual journey and what made me start questioning my my faith and questioning my experiences in a way that like oh there's another way to embrace faith and Mm. there's this entire chapter and section of the bible and psalms that everyone purposely overlooks because they don't know what to do with them so i didn't go to church in college and then after i got married found out that there was a church that studied lamentations and i was like i gotta go there and (laughs) it was this community where I could be really honest. And I remember I was at a Bible study and this woman showed up manic because I, I can spot mentally ill people like that. And <laughs> she shows up manic and everyone just treats her so lovingly. And I find out that mm. like one of the women in the group takes her to ECT appointments and just the way they responded to mental illness was really amazing. I will be honest that writing the book did really challenge my faith and made me like get to this point of, being really tired of relying on other people, especially men, to tell me what to believe about God. So as mm-hmm. amazing as this church community was, I am currently taking a break from church because it's like, I want to experience God. I want to figure out what I believe separate from people telling me what to believe. Mm-hmm. And I Good think becoming a parent made it even more challenging for me because it was like, I don't fit in this Christian mom mold. And being surrounded mm-hmm. by it is really hard for me because it feels very stifling and it's like I don't think that becoming a parent and being a person of faith means that I have to find my entire identity about around this and Mm -hmm. how do I integrate this into who I am without making it like my entire purpose because even if like you say okay well gender roles don't have to exist in 
like these liberal churches or whatever, like I still see them popping up and it, it's still really hard for me to engage with. Yeah, that's incredibly powerful. Like just there's so many facets of your story that I think are so many of us have experienced. I mean, you know, sure, it's a small percentage that have experienced being diagnosed bipolar, but but the way that has like connected with so many other facets is yeah. just really fascinating. Uh, and I'm really proud of you for uh, <laughs> wanting to figure it out on your own for a, a while and maybe yeah. find other inputs, other sources yeah. other than just, yeah, white men. Some certain people have had the platform for far too long and yeah. yeah, and they just might not be right about everything. They might not be malicious, yeah. but they just might not be right either. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think I want to have this space in my faith for what I don't know. And I feel like I've relied so heavily on other people to tell me what to believe and, and to feel the sense of certainty that like, even while writing my book, I would find myself going to theology books. I'm like, okay, I got to get to this conclusion. Mm. There was mm. a review of my book where they complained that I did it come to answers of why I believe in God. Cause I still don't know, honestly. I'm like, that's <laughs> kind of the whole you're point. You're like, well, then I think I wrote it correctly. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what my editor said. He called me. He's like, I'm going to frame this because this means that like we did what we were supposed to do. Oh, that's but while awesome. editing, while editing it, he was like, Anna, you need to stop searching for certainty. Like this mm. is the whole purpose of your book. Jeez. Editor or therapist. <laughs> yeah. No, he, I joke with people that he's kind of like a prophet, because he would, because I didn't view my story this way, but he was like, your story is a testimony and your story is about faith. Because when I started writing it, I was like, oh, I didn't have faith in like multiple areas of my life. And he was like, you still kept going and like you were alive and, and being alive is faith. Like mm -hmm. choosing to stay alive when you don't want to is a step of faith. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'd love if you want to expand on that a little more, just never knowing who's listening and who's struggling. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Julian Baker. She's like one of my favorite singers. And I remember there was a review of one of her songs, Claws in Your Back, I think that's what it's called. And she talks about that, about like, there's a line like, living with demons I've mistaken for saints, but just between us, I think they're the same. But, but the way in which she grapples with it is really beautiful. And when your mind is convincing you that, life is not worth living and you are dwelling on and seeing all these different ways that you want to die. I mean, there's been multiple points in my life where like I was sweating and had to leave rooms and like go sit alone because it was like that drive to die. I think about like Jesus in the garden, like sweating blood. Like I identify mm -hmm. with that so much because it's like, you can't even see what's real. You can't even, I, I understand very much why people die by suicide and for me it wasn't wanting to die it was wanting to end the thoughts that were convincing me that life was not worth living hmm. but there was still this this hope and this faith and I didn't understand what it was but it was like I still believe that life was worth living even though everything in me was telling it, me it wasn't and there was still hmm. this strength and and even if I don't in the moment didn't see it as faith. I, I now see it as this like very beautiful thing that kept me holding on. And even if my faith or, or my hope felt hopeless, the fact that I still chose to get out of bed every day and, and, and search for reasons to live was faith hmm. and is faith. Wow. That's beautiful. Like 
Shelby just said, like, we don't know who's listening right now. Um, what would you say to someone out there who's maybe where you were five, 10 years ago, confused about their experience they just had in a church? And they're like, maybe it's me, or maybe maybe I just need to like go back and study a little bit more. Maybe I need to like, what would you say to those, yeah. that person out there right now that is where you were, you know, five, 10 years ago? I mean, there's a lot of things. I think for me, I was so set that churches are a complete reflection of who God and Jesus are. And so mm. I didn't question what I was, how I was treated or the decisions that pastors made. I treated pastors as if they were these sinless, perfect people and I put them on a pedestal. So I think mm. first of all, like taking away the power that you put on systems of power and learning to question those things and not taking, not putting what you believe about God on people because that's a very mm. dangerous thing. And that is how toxic systems and religious spheres are created. Also, I think giving your space, giving yourself space to take a break and, and, and heal because I didn't think I could do that because there's such a stigma against deconstruction and, and having to leave and dealing with spiritual trauma and thinking, you oh, know, I just need to keep exposing myself to this. If it is toxic for you and you're triggered, like it's okay to leave. And that doesn't, that's not a reflection of your faith. That is like you taking care of yourself. And I think that we are called to take care of ourselves. And that sometimes involves leaving toxic spaces. I also think studying the Bible in a way that makes you recognize even how Jesus responded to religious people. Like Jesus wasn't in churches hanging out with the most righteous people. Jesus was out on the streets with everyone that religious people ignored. And that for me really resonated because it was like, all these people were telling me that I didn't have enough faith. All these people were telling me that I wasn't strong enough of a Christian. And that is why I was suffering. Meanwhile, those were all the people that Jesus was like rebuking and calling out and like tossing tables with. That's not who Jesus was with. And so that like solidarity of it's okay to be where I'm at. And I don't have to keep striving to be this person that I'm not. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, I've just loved every facet of this conversation. Uh, there's, I could pick your brain about a lot of things, and I can't wait to see where um, the books that you continue to write and questions about uh, resources of that have been helpful to you. And also, like, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? as you continue. Yeah. So I do have like a list of books at the back of my book that have like guided me through my faith journey. And I'll try to remember some of them. Uh, Christian Wyman was a huge influence on mm. me as a writer, as a person of faith. My Bright Abyss is a book that he writes about his relationship with poetry. I didn't really talk about it on the show, but that's like a huge component of my book is looking mm. at like the spirituality of writing and viewing writing as a prayer and something that connects you with God and like looking to connect with God in unconventional ways uh, is is definitely how I have maintained a person of faith. Uh, I did get into like David Bentley Hart. I got into his work oh. about around hell and that was like mm -hmm. amazing. Oh, that's he, he did it for me with hell too. <gasps> yes. But also like I read, he was like, I was like eight and I was sitting there and I was like, Oh, this hell thing doesn't work. doesn't work. And I was like, man, I wish I was that smart. <laughs> but I wasn't yeah, right. But Rachel held Evans is a huge, is a huge one for me. Yeah. And then Sarah mm -hmm. Bessie. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, like there, there aren't any books for me that were like, this is how you be a Christian and be mentally ill. Like I was kind of like 
okay, mm-hmm. I guess I have to write that book. And that's why I, I wrote my book. Um, yeah, you're contributing to a very unpopulated area of Christian writing. So well done. Yeah, I, I think I think music has been a huge thing for me. Like Sufjan Stevens, of course, there's a song called The Only Thing, and it's about him being suicidal. And then like the beauty of the world, these signs of God being the things that keep him alive. And his music has had a huge influence on me. Mm. And like, I listened to it throughout my writing process. And then Julian Baker is another one. And she has religious OCD, which I also have where like, I get these obsessive thoughts around my upbringing. And even if I don't believe these things, like they still are very intrusive. And Mm. the way she talks about faith and the way that she like practices it is very relatable to me. Mm. Wow. Oh, man, that's like a whole nother interview we could probably talk about with religious OCD. Yeah. Um, that's that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And horrible. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anna. Yeah. The book is Devout. Anna Gazmarian um, is the author. You got to go check it out. I just think <laughs> get following Anna now because there's there's much more coming here and the book on purity culture and all this stuff that's coming. So uh, it's a good follow on all the social networks too. Yeah. Super glad that you were able to come on here and talk to us. Yeah. It's really been, been an honor to, to, to have this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Fun. yeah. Thank you.